first uh, started coming to the hills um, when um, my son got a flyer about the fabulous um, upward program. So when I came in here and then started doing the upward program and then knowing more about the church and what Charlie sit down with me and explain me things, um, it was just like a completely different experience. I remember the first uh, meeting that Charlie and I sit down together and then he offered help with and explained me about breaking the barriers, which was another thing that blew me away, uh, a place where my daughter, which has um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, would be accepted and cared for and and love because they, she's very loved there. After being having this sense of rejection from a lot of places, just come here and feel that welcoming and just, you know, that we were here, we could come, we could spend time in here. It was completely amazing to me. This past uh, summer, um, at the end of May, my husband has a very bad accident, and then we have a lot of challenges with my daughter's health, and it wouldn't be possible for me to go through all the, this uh, experience and all this trial that we have, and, and it's the church, it's the people at the hills that we always feel like we belong to, that we are accepted, we're welcomed, we're cared for, we're loved, and I don't think we, we are the same people. Um, I'm completely um, sold out to the mission of the church that we are, we, I want to be a follower of Jesus through all the things that the church wants to do. And, um, and I think it's, it's that consistency that I was looking between where I am listening on the preaching and the actual doing, it's, it's here, it's happening. I see it every day. I live it in my own experiences and I just could not be more grateful. Greater things have yet to come Greater things still to be done in this city So, you biblical scholars will be able to answer this question What do Egypt, Babylon, and Rome have in common. They were all wicked, cruel, evil, godless empires, humbled and brought low by the mighty hand of God. And now we can add the New York Yankees to that list. And so, next Saturday, the first ever World Series game will be played in Arlington, and the first pitch is around 5.30. Now, we have a Saturday 5 o'clock service. So, I'm telling you, if you tend to visit that service or come, and you couldn't yesterday, so you're here today, next Saturday, that service will start at 4 o'clock. We will have that service at 4 o'clock, and then we will go into the 24-7 area and break out the pizza and the Cokes and watch the Rangers win a World Series. And let me just say right now, do not send me an email saying, I cannot believe they changed the time of the service for a game. 
This is the Rangers in the World Series. We only do this every 50 years, okay? <laughs> we are in an even more important season in the history of this church. It's called Greater Things. We are in a campaign to raise $10 million to support 21 missionaries, some of them new around the world, to build a university in East Africa for Christians to attend, to uh, launch a campus on the west side of our church, to expand this room and this campus so that more people like Lucia can find Jesus here. And it's going to take sacrifice. And sacrifice, as we've seen the past few weeks, requires greater vision and greater courage and greater hope and greater faith. But most of all, it requires something else. And so I heard a story about a couple that were in New York City and the man held down a cab. But as he walked to the cab that pulled over to the curb, it was very clear that another man walked to the curb thinking he also had hailed that very cab. Now the woman knew her husband was hot-tempered. And he expected an argument to ensue. And for a few moments there wasn't a heated exchange. But then she noticed with surprise her husband seemed to back up. He opened that door for the other man, encouraged him to get in, closed the door for him, waved goodbye to him. And so she asked, why did you give up your cab to that man? And he replied, well, dear, he really, really needed that cab. He was late to his martial arts class, and he's the teacher. (laughs) You see, we know that sometimes we will give up things we really like or want or love. We will sacrifice because of a greater fear. So maybe you have given up something you enjoyed because your doctor said if you don't, it could cause you to die. And greater fear motivated you to make a sacrifice. Or maybe your employer said if this doesn't change, you lose your job. We know what it's like to give up or sacrifice because of fear. But there's a greater reason to sacrifice than greater fear. And so there's a story that must have been important because all four gospel authors included. And not many stories of Jesus make all four gospels. This one does. Mark 14, verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the house of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly, to one another. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, have you ever witnessed just over-the-top outpouring of affection? Well, if you watched the game Friday night, you saw it from the fans and from the Ranger players themselves. Just an over-the-top celebration of affection. 
Or maybe you were at an airport and you saw a deployed soldier who's been gone for many months and he comes back and his family's waiting for him and they just go over the top in expressing how much they've missed him and how much they love him. That's what she's doing. Mark says, this is what it looks like. John says, this is who it was. Look at John's version, chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now Martha served, and if you know Martha, that doesn't surprise you. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. That shouldn't surprise you. The woman is serving and the guy's laying on the couch. <laughs> then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You see, by the standards of that day, this is a wealthy family. And it's worth noting, Jesus had rich friends, and he had poor friends. And in those days, the custom was to put your savings into some kind of commodity. They didn't have the banking system that we had. Nobody had a retirement plan associated with their job. So what did you do to save for your future? Well, you put it in some commodity, and nard was a popular choice. Nard was a perfume made from a plant that grew in northern India. It was very expensive. And it was popular as a savings item because, number one, it was desirable. People loved the stuff. Number two, it was portable. It was, it was easy to transfer. And number three, it was negotiable. You could talk about how much nard you wanted to buy from somebody. And so the disciples are not exaggerating when they say one bottle of this perfume was worth more than most men made in a year. Now think about this. I don't know how much money you make here, but it really doesn't matter. If you have more than a year's salary in a savings account, then according to the world, you are very, very rich. And Mary did. This is her future. This is everything she's worth, everything she has to depend on in the days ahead. It was too good for her to use. Fact of the matter, it was even too good to use on Lazarus when he died. But it wasn't good enough for Jesus. How do you thank somebody who has raised from the dead the person you most love? You see, nobody would have thought less of Mary if she had opened that bottle, took her finger and wrapped it around the rim, put a drop or two on his head, everybody would have said, that was a really nice gesture. That was sensible. But Mary didn't care about being sensible. You don't care about being sensible when the goal of your heart is overwhelmed with passion. You see, the principal motivation for great sacrifice is greater love. That's what sacrifice in its essence is. A sacrifice is when you give up something you really love because 
you love something or someone else even more. Haven't you ever done that? Haven't you ever wanted to show love for somebody so much that you did something that other people called reckless? Maybe you were in college and your girlfriend went to another college and it was 300 miles away and you'd go see her every other weekend. And you'd stay as late as you could on Sunday night until she had to go back into her dorm. And then you'd drive all night long and get back to your school at 6 in the morning, wiped out. And everyone thought you were nuts. But it was worth it to you because you were so in love. Then you had kids. And they needed braces. And they wanted to take piano lessons. And they wanted to be on a select soccer team. And that was going to cost a lot of money. And you have to travel every other weekend to tournaments. And people thought you were nuts. But you did it. Because that's what love does. You see, all four gospel authors put this story right before the cross to say, let Mary inspire and instruct you. Be like Mary. It's like the story I heard about the biker who came to Christ and he went to church one of the first weekends after he got saved. And the preacher is saying, we need help in the nursery." He's sitting out there with his long hair and his earrings and tattoos. And he's got on his leather jacket with all these scary symbols on it. And the preacher says, we need help in the nursery and no one's budging. And he says, we really need someone to help in the nursery today and no one's moving. So finally he stood up and said, I'll help. With Immediately 20 young moms stood up and said, no, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> you see, he inspired people. <laughs> and that's what this story is supposed to do. It's supposed to show us what it looks like when we pour it on. So let me teach you three things quickly. Here's number one. Greater love is always extravagant. Always. You think about it. The Bible never says this is the least you can do to love God. Why does the Bible say hold up your hands and praise Him? Why can't you just sit on your hands and praise Him? Why do you ever need to bow or get on the ground to pray to God? Why does it say, shout to the Lord? Why did David feel the need to dance before his God? Because, you see, the real measure of love is abandonment, not calculation. Some years ago, the songwriter Ricky Skaggs caught this idea in a song. Let me read the lyrics. It happens to a mother when she's giving birth. Her heart is filled with joy while her body's filled with hurt. She holds the baby to her breast despite the pain it caused. Because when it comes to love, you don't count the cost. It happens to a soldier fighting for his home and fear wells up inside him. And yet he still goes on even though he knows he may be the next to fall. Because when it comes to love, you don't count the cost. You don't count the heartache. You don't count the sacrifice. All that counts is what you feel inside. It doesn't really matter what is gained or what is lost. When it comes to love, you don't count the cost. It happens all around us each and every day. Someone's given all they've got for someone else's sake. And if you've ever doubted, just think about the cross. Because when it comes to love, you don't count the cost. It's what you sang a moment ago. 
I'll never understand what it cost for God to put my sin on His Son on the cross. The most extravagant gift ever. And what that means to you then is, you see, if it's God-like love, it costs you something. Now, a lot of people give, and it doesn't cost them anything. And that's, that doesn't mean that gift can't help somebody. I'm just saying it's not God-like. It's God-like love when it costs. And so we must see cautious calculated discipleship as a contradiction. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, not a careful giver. But what brings God cheer may not be cheered by others because the second thing, greater love is always an irritant. Always. People get upset by people that go over the top when they express their love for God. Because some people, they know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. They can tell you everything's price, but they don't know what anything's worth. And so there was in that room people that disapproved of Mary's actions. Including Jesus' own disciples. And John lets us know that Judas led the charge. Imagine this. Here's what Judas is saying. You gave too much to Jesus. Excuse me. What are you thinking? Shouldn't be giving Jesus that much. That's not sensible. You see, one takeaway from this story is radical discipleship is always going to get criticized. But I've learned that criticism often says more about the critic than the person being criticized. For example, when the Bible tells us that Michael, David's wife, got very offended at the way he danced before God, do you think the Bible is telling us more about Michael than about David? Do you remember last summer when Jonathan told the story of when he and Leslie first began to date at Harding University? And Leslie was a brand new Christian, just filled with love for God. And so they're in a chapel service at Harding University with several thousand students. And they began to sing a song, and Leslie stands up. Now, they didn't ask the crowd to stand. She just stood up. She's the only one standing, and she's holding up her hands, and she's singing. And Jonathan said, I was so embarrassed. I wanted her to sit down. I, I was upset. He made some joke about dating Benny Hinn, and everybody laughed. But do you remember what he said right after that? Because I, I do. In fact, I wrote it down. The truth is, my criticism about her worship had nothing to do with her discipleship. It had a lot to do with mine. I wasn't comfortable being around someone who loved Jesus that much. See, the purpose of this story is to confront that spirit that says, Now, what's the least I can do and still make people think I love God? I think sometimes we criticize people that go a little bit over the top and make us uncomfortable because we're trying to protect our own shallow 
versions of discipleship. See, Judas didn't have a money problem. He had a love problem. And you should expect your life to seem foolish and reckless to people who love anything or anyone more than they love Jesus. Let me say that again. Your life should look just a little bit crazy to people that love anything more than they love Jesus. You're not going to get their applause. But you are going to get His. Because greater love is always significant. And he who would not defend himself when he was accused would quickly stand up and defend Mary against her accusers. And he says, leave her alone. Stop bothering her. By the way, little Bible study tip. Read the Bibles and take special note of things that tick Jesus off. This is a little hint. <laughs> and he says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. And wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world. Which, by the way, notice the prophecy there. Jesus knows he's about to be killed, but he also knows he's about to win. And he says, they're going to take my story to the whole world. And when they do, they'll mention Mary. Why? You won't find Jesus giving such praise to any other act. Why hers? Because Jesus says, when you take my story, when you take the gospel of my love and my sacrifice to the world, the world's going to say, how should we respond to this story? And the answer is, like Mary. That's how you respond. You sell out. You offer God everything you've got. This is not a story where you respond by just learning how to be nice and give God a couple of hours a week in a building. This is a story about selling out, offering all, laying it out, pouring it out. You respond to the gospel like Mary. She gave her day for God's tomorrow. You know, I haven't asked anybody in this church what God's put on their heart to do for this campaign I haven't asked a single person if they're going to sacrifice or not I don't think it's my job to be your Holy Spirit but I've heard some neat things I've heard about a single mom who was a brand new Christian who was going to sell her TV because she wants to be able to give something I heard about another single mom that's going to give up her vacation next year so she has something to give. I heard about a teenager who was going to hold a video game tournament in his neighborhood to make money so he can give something. And about another teenager who went out and got her first job ever specifically so that she could make some money to give to greater things. And then just recently one of our elders shared with me about one of our widows, and I'm not going to tell you her name. She wouldn't mind. But she had in her mind what she was going to do for the campaign. And she sensed God say to her and her spirit, increase it 50%. So she gulped and decided to do that. And then she told her small group last week that she was in this room last Sunday listening to me preach. And she heard God say, now double it. And so what she planned to give has gone up 
by 300%. And she said this to her small group. She said, my financial advisors are going to think I'm crazy. But she wasn't afraid. She was in love. See, nobody's second-guessing Mary today, are they? She built a monument to her memory. She's a part of the Jesus story now, wherever it goes. But you know what? So is Judas. Wherever you take the story of Jesus, you talk about Mary. But you also talk about Judas. You wasted all that money on Jesus. And just a few days later, Jesus will pray. And he will use that exact same word by Judas. Because Judas wasted his life. And I wonder how my story is going to be remembered. How is my story going to be told when they tell Jesus' story? They tell about a monk some years ago walking along a road and he saw a stone. He went to investigate and realized it was a very, very precious, valuable gem. He put it in his pouch. Further down the road, he was stopped by a traveler that was hungry and gaunt and asked for some provision. And the monk opened his pouch, and the traveler saw that stone and said, Could I have that stone? And the monk quickly said, Sure, and gave it to him. And the traveler was overjoyed to be the owner of something worth so much money. But three days later, he found that same monk and gave him back the stone and said, What I really want you to give me is whatever it was that enabled you to give me that stone. You see, the gospel is a greater love story. It is. It's grounded in a sacrifice that makes absolutely no sense apart from amazing love. Jesus said it himself in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And so greater love motivated Jesus to lay down for a debt we couldn't pay down. And on that cross, God poured it on, not wasn't perfume, it was wrath. Everything your rebellion and everything my sin deserved, it was poured out on Jesus. I believe that. I believe He was my substitute. I believe it was for my atonement that He had to take my place. Now here's the question. If I really believe that, then shouldn't my life seem a little reckless to people who don't believe that? And many don't. They think the story of Jesus is made up. They think it's ridiculous. They think it's myth. They don't think he was a son of God. They don't think his death had anything to do with their salvation. But I do. And so shouldn't the way I live my life seem foolish 
to people that don't believe what I believe. But I don't think it's reckless. Even if you do like Mary and give your life savings, if you're giving it to the only man that can save your life. Some of you have heard the name of Bill Hybels, well-known pastor in the Chicago area. He had a strange request one time from a member in his church. The man was a very, very successful businessman. He made a lot of money, but more amazing, he gave away enormous amounts of what he made. And he asked Bill Hybels a favor. Will you take me to lunch once a year? And Heibel said, yes, why? He said, because my business partner and my attorney and my financial advisors think I'm crazy. And I need you once a year to take me to lunch and look across the table and look me in the eyes and tell me I'm not crazy. And that's what I'm telling you right now. You are not crazy to order your life on and for the love of God. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to do two things. First, I'm going to ask you to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would give you a greater capacity to live your life motivated by love and not fear. Just, just ask for that right now. And now one more thing. Just ask God to help you receive His love. Just to believe that you're loved by God. That you can breathe it, embrace it, live in it. Just just ask God to help you accept the love of God. God we hear the song the melody of your love we're ready to sing it with you for the glory of Jesus Amen so let's stand and in a moment I'm going to offer an invitation to accept Christ but not right now right now I want us just to take a moment and thank Christ I want us to take a moment And just praise God for His love.
part of what you felt just a moment ago is, is what Mary was feeling. This story doesn't call for some tepid little two-hour-a-week, see-how-nice-we-can-act surrender. It calls for total, complete sacrifice. That's why Jesus said it starts with repentance, confession, being baptized. And it just keeps going every day. You're just dying, and you're dying, and you're dying, and you find out what you're really doing is living and living and living. So we invite you to be a part of this story and come and accept Christ right now as we encourage each other with the thought that we're embraced with a love that will never let us go. You come right now.